Welcome to the one within all to the Interverse podcast from a stormy night in Southwest Missouri. I'm your host, Chance, and I'm just hoping that tonight it's not my tower that gets struck by lightning. Tarot jokes aside, you might have already inferred from the title of this episode that this time around we're going to be lighting up the dastardly archetypes that our world is suffering with in an attempt to restore our dear listeners to a more pure perspective on the heroic symbolism found in the traditional 22 major arcana cards of the tarot. That may be a mouthful, but the working thesis here should become clear as we dive in. And before going deeper, I want to let you know that this podcast is going to include visual components. We'll be examining what I call the transhuman tarot, an intriguing, if not disturbing, reimagining of the major arcana that is found hiding in the shadowy corners of a video game from late 2020 called Cyberpunk 2077. I've touched on this game in recent shows, both mine and other podcasts too, but if video games aren't your thing or you don't want this one spoiled for you, have no fear. This chat has little to do with the plot or gameplay of cyberpunk and everything to do with the synchromystic message that can be mined from this sneaky slice of esoterica that many of the game's players might barely have even noticed. So to make sure you have access to the same pictures we're going to describe, I'll be sharing slides in the video version of this episode and uploading those slides to link in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow along outside of YouTube. And I know how it is when audio shows throw slides out there. Sometimes I myself will forego pulling the images up. But trust me when I say it only takes a moment to access them. And despite our best efforts to verbally depict these pictures, there's nothing quite like seeing it for yourself. I also want to address anyone out there who might be about to turn this show off because they don't want to be programmed by negative symbolism. That's a fair concern, but in my personal experience, looking at the dark does not harm one who is filled with light. Light is awareness, and bringing the symbolic subtext of our world into our conscious mind's awareness is precisely what allows us to choose what we take in and what we reject. Symbolic literacy is psychic self-defense, and despite these images being blatantly dark or inverted, to me it's just as likely that the artists involved in their creation saw themselves as giving us a warning, as it is likely that they intended to subvert the masses with them. And since we will be looking at this transhuman tarot alongside the more archaic Rider Waite edition, and considering the occult correspondences to the different arcana, this episode might also serve as a useful lesson or recap of the major ideas of this original Hero's Journey template. As synchronicity would have it, I've been preparing this presentation for a few weeks now, and today's guest popped into my message inbox with the perfect timing and personal skill set to be the ideal candidate to break all this down with us. Her name is Lindsay Sharman, and in addition to being a seasoned taroscopic trooper uh, and eclectic author with poetic, philosophical, and fictional works published to her name, she's also a fellow podcast producer with an awesome show called Rogue Ways that you can find on YouTube and podcast apps everywhere. And although we just met, I can see from her guest list and stated intentions on Rogue Ways that we certainly overlap in just about every category of consciousness-expanding content, and that the still small voice within me is practically screaming that I'm about to make a new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so please don't forget to check the show notes for links to Lindsay's many works. Give her a like or a follow and support her if you can. And as always, if you want to hear the double-length version of this show, and not have to miss the latter half of the analysis, you can get all the extended episodes of Interverse on Patreon for a very affordable $5 monthly donation. And despite my best efforts not to hog the mic for a long intro, it seems I've only scratched the surface of introducing this huge concept of corrupted archetypes. And with as much great work as Lindsay does, I probably didn't do her much justice in the intro either. But at some point, we've got to just do the damn thing. So 
Friends, if you're ready to share some magic, please extend your preferred etheric energy apparatus through that non-local astral dimension to the bubble space of our most excellent guest, Lindsay Sharman, and welcome her with a psychic hug, high five, or at least a little tickle in the aura. She's the <laughs> rogue researcher resisting the transhuman reset, transcendental tarot card tutor, and analog authoress extraordinaire, and I'm super excited to get this party started. Lindsay, welcome to Interverse, and thanks for joining us. Wow, what a great intro. Thank you so much. I think you absolutely nailed it. I have a lot that I do, but I think you touched on most of it. So thank you for for sharing that. It's very nice to hear. Ah, yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm glad that I was able to at least somewhat encapsulate all the many things that you're up to. But before we get rolling, (laughs) definitely take a moment to let people know where to find you, what your most um, awesome stuff is, or tell us about you a little bit, but let's, uh, also maximize our time here because I'm sure you and I are probably gonna have a lot of conversations (laughs) and we'll have time to get to know each other. Absolutely. Yes. I'm excited to have you on my show as well, which as you mentioned is rogue ways and you can find it on YouTube under rogue ways. Uh, and the best place really to go is the site. I have a a site rogueways.org and rogue of, of course is, uh, R-O-G-U-E. A lot of people misspell it rouge and then they can never find it. <laughs> so um, keep that in mind. And then it's ways and not waves. Uh, and it comes from rogue waves, right? It's a play on that word, but it's the idea that all of us are actually rogue warriors once we're on this path and that the pathways to um, to becoming a rogue warrior and the pathways you can go through after becoming a rogue warrior are so plentiful, right? Um, but when we can all join together in sort of a single time and space at once, or a single intention that's like a rogue wave of like glory like we all did it right so I love reaching out I love connecting with people I love the community that we create together and so I also have rogue.locals.com which is my place where people can come support the show and also hang out and it's it's sort of like anti-censorship um platform that you can support content creators but also interact with them so it's like kind of like the Facebook idea. You can make posts and you can make comments. You can interact as a community, but you can also subscribe and like support your content creator. So I really love it because Facebook is a censorship happy, awful place, you know, and then this is a nice alternative. So you can do any of those things. Check it out on the uh, podcast on YouTube. You can go to rogueways.org and get tarot readings and all sorts of different writings and books and stuff. Or you can uh, join the community at rogue.locals.com and just come chat and hang out. That sounds like an alternative to social media I could get behind, and I didn't know about it, so I'll be making an account. Come find me there, everybody. This sounds really cool. (laughs) I love it. And, you know, some people were kind of critical of it at first because they're like, oh, you have to pay to comment. And I'm like, well, it's $2 a month. And if it's a show that you love, $2 a month is pretty fair. (laughs) Like, I don't know about you, but I put out a good amount of content. And so if you, you know, if you love this community and you love this content, you have every reason to do $2 a month, uh, you know, to be a part of something like that. And it really is a special place because everyone who's there chose to be there, you know, and if they're interacting, they pay to interact. So you're, what you're getting is like the best, you know, you can get a lot of trolls, you can get a lot of haters, you can get these people that just kind of sap energy and, and can be positive in many ways, but like can also be a problem in many ways, but you don't really get that there. We just get like the people who really want to be there and really want to connect with each other and create that community. So I love it personally. Yeah. I think the uh, lesson of communism shows us that if everything's free, (laughs) then the quality goes way down for everybody. And yeah, we need to invest in the people that are investing in us because I, I see this type of work as an investment in 
a community to try to create yeah. that type of a wave like you're talking about. And yes, we do need to uh, unify our collective vision about these things we call archetypes. And this is my attempt at a clever segue to yeah. talk about archetypes <laughs> before we kick into gear on these uh, images. I want to make sure and lay the groundwork by defining this word uh, from your words and then maybe like what the major arcana is to you, because that's what we're going to be examining. Yeah, that's a really good question. So archetype, if we break it down etymologically, it has that arc arch, which is kind of this like idea of like ruler or like dominating, you know, and then types, which is almost like theme. So I look at the major arcana and the archetypes within them as like the dominating themes of every, like you said it really well, it's the original hero's journey. And the hero's journey exists, these archetypes exist because it's exactly how every story goes. <laughs> you know, we none of us is unique in a way. You know, in a way, we're absolutely unique and nothing will ever be exactly like us right here, right now. And another way, we're all exactly the same as everyone else. And so we can see this in each other's lives. We can see it in our own lives. If we break it down, we can see the phases that we've gone through. And sometimes we revisit certain phases and sort of like a mini cycle, you know? But overall, like the path of our lives it follows this hero's journey and it follows these archetypes, these ruling themes um, that are laid out in the major arcana of the tarot. And so it's a really clever set of devices to allow us to work with those energies and have that reflected back at us to have this in something like the tarot that you can use to sort of get in touch with your deeper self and your higher self and, um, and, you know, see which of those sort of uh, archetypes you're playing out at the moment or which are sort of trying to get your attention or which are sort of beckoning you to like keep coming forward and just all sorts of orientations and patterns that you have in your life. But it really is. It's like the fundamental foundational journey and, and it's cyclical, you know, that all of us go through. I do think the major arcana represent that perfectly once you are able to get with the program of what the symbolism is trying to tell you. That's why I bring up symbolic literacy, because we really do. For me, that was like the greatest gift I received from college as an English major. They had no idea yeah. that was going to be the thing that defined my life going out of there. <laughs> I thought I was just picking an easy major to get through the four years. But thankfully, synchronicity helped me out right there, too. And Analyzing these things can be very helpful. And the other thing about the word archetype is the arch could also refer to the starry dome above the zodiac. Mm. And when it comes to the major arcana, that's another thing to point out that you can't separate it from the zodiac. Well, you could if you don't have knowledge of the zodiac, but you're going to deepen your understanding because not only does this hero's journey play out in our lives and in the stories that we tell, which are actually the same thing, <laughs> it's also nature has this same type of progression and we see that it, it through we can see that link through the uh the zodiac and what they call the sky clock how that it describes the seasons as much as it describes humanity and since we're all this big fractal soup it makes perfect sense that they would all align and yeah. uh, last term to define before we jump in is transhumanism because that's what i consider this uh, alternate tarot that we're going to be looking at to be warning us about I don't see how it could be anything but a warning personally. Yeah. Well, it's like what you said, you can take it as a warning or you can take it as some like dark programming, but your orientation to it is what determines that. Right. And that's true of all of the tarot as well. Right. You can get um, any sort of card in your reading in any sort of place and like specific to you in that moment right there. How are you oriented towards it or how is it 
um, you know, affecting you personally through your personal lenses and that's how it's going to be affecting you. So like you can use anything as a tool or as a, um, and you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. You can use it anyway in between those things. And so it just is what it is. Right. But you and I are taking it as a warning. (laughs) I'm not going to let it program me or like insert any dark energy into my life. And like you said, our, our light is high enough and our awareness is, good enough and strong enough that we're going to use that in a way that is positive and constructive for us and, and nothing else. So I really liked that point that you made. Well, and before we define transhumanism a little more, I'll also say that we really don't come to truth without dealing with inversion or with lies. That's yeah. the only other, if we were just sitting in truth in purity with no such thing as lies, then we'd have no hero's journey to go on. So right. it's about and you're learning cutting who we off are. half of yourself, right? Like if you, if you're not in touch with the, the sort of darkness within you or that you've experienced or that your potential for it, you're only seeing half the picture, you know, and it's nice because you get to imagine that darkness and evil are like not a part of you ever and never going to be. And, 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 but it's not true. And so you're stuck in a like stagnant place of fantasy and illusion instead of being really genuine and honestly you, which I don't think, you know, a lot of masters sort of say like, you can't really move forward until you're very, very honest about where you're at. (laughs) And if you can't do that, you're not going anywhere. Um, But yeah, transhumanism for me, I mean, it says it again, if we break the word down, trans is like beyond right. Human humanism beyond being human. And it's concerning because um, there's something like there's a concept in our spiritual realm where we're like it is like or at least for a lot of people, I think, where they look at it as the point is to get beyond human. Right. You want to ascend or you want to like transcend and you want to like become Buddha state or Buddha nature, like bring out your Buddha nature. You want to like become an ascended master or whatever. And we think I think a lot of people at least think of this as something that isn't human or is beyond humanism. And I think that that core is like a rotten seed that's been planted. You know, this idea that there's something better than and beyond being a human. And I really liked in some uh, Gnostic lectures that I was really into for a while where they highlighted that actually it's exactly the opposite. And it's exactly like we were just saying, where you like sort of accept that you have this sort of dark side or dark potential um, and that it is part of being human. You accept, accept exactly where you are at. You accept humanity. You love being human and you are human and you work with that and you work with all these symbols and these archetypes and these energies. And in fact, you don't go beyond human. You become an actual human eventually. Like right now, it's almost like you're like a you're like a seed of a human. You're like becoming human sort of and eventually you will be human. And I like that concept a lot more. And I think it's exactly the opposite of transhumanism. <laughs> That makes perfect sense. And uh, to segue into this concept of, I'm going to bring up the first, the introductory slide here. Oh, oh wrong picture. There's my notes. <laughs> now <laughs> we got to view professional. into Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the corruption of archetypes, this is what I consider transhumanism to be because on the material level, transhumanism is like replacing aspects of human behavior or even the human body with yeah. some sort of technological, which means artificial, so-called improvement. And this isn't to say like if you need a prosthetic because of a, an injury that that makes you like an evil transhumanist by no right. means. It's perfect what you said that really what we're here to do is to blossom into our wholeness, which is what humans are. They are the seed that contains the the information of the whole. And we could embody that and we could even integrate 
what is dark as something that becomes our fuel for reaching to the light, just like the soil is made up of decomposed matter that was biological, right? So when we talk about corrupting archetypes, it's, it's talking about corrupting parts of the body because the 12 zodiac signs, the major arcana, they have correspondences to everything in nature, to organs, to body parts, to ways of thinking and feeling. It's a, a big soup of correspondences where we have a certain spectrum that it shows up fractally in a bunch of different sense modalities, right? So um, replacing or modifying even just the way that humans behave, especially in connection to nature, is itself transhuman. The point that we stopped living in an integrated and balanced way with nature and looking at it as a resource and a separateness, that was like the first step on this long road to transhumanism. And in, as you can see in some of these preview images, there's not a lot of nature in there, is there? This is no. what, this is the, like the, the real evil genius scheme of transhumanism is to completely separate human from nature. And it's even in the stated mission goals of a lot of the leaders in this so-called thought movement to mirror or map our neurons or our brain patterns into some sort of simulated reality where we could be eternally alive there. <laughs> and that entire concept, uh, and then they try to convince you that you're already in one. This is a simulation theory <laughs> thing. And to me, that's like taking the Gnostic, uh, the purity of Gnostic ideas and, com and converting that into a corruption because the way Gnostic thought is interpreted by people that haven't read much Gnostic literature is that nature is bad. The body's a prison. We have to get out. Yaldabaoth is goddess. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the creation. We're in the totality. We're part of the whole, the perfection. And it's not that we can't evolve or change, but it's like, it's our responsibility to be very um, aware of how we're evolving and changing and to take responsibility for the, our version of the archetypes in our mind. And so as we look at these one at a time, I think it's going to give us some clues about the directions not to go if we won't, don't want to end up in like a technocratic hell world or as, I mean, I don't think that we could actually become brains inside of a machine. I don't think that that is even a possible thing. They have a complete misunderstanding of what the mind is, but still like uh, the fact that they can get people on board with that as a concept says a lot about what people will be willing to accept that can happen. So Anyway, I'm sure you have thoughts on all that and you go for it while I move us over to uh, slide one and we can look at it while you're sharing. Yeah, I really, it's, it's like the central key, like you said, is a disconnection from nature. And, um, you know, this was like the start and it's, and it's just getting stronger and stronger as we um, embrace and rely more and more on technology. And it's, uh, it's hard, you know, we're sitting here on technology, having this amazing badass talk because it exists and because we can use it, you know, so I'm not going to pretend like I don't enjoy it and use it. But I also notice more and more that we walk away from our inherent abilities. You know, we lose them the more we rely on technology. And that is part of what makes us human. And, you know, we can imagine it being ever more powerful and strong, uh, the more we get reconnected. And we can imagine like, you know, we hear of all these things that seem like magic to us. And I just 
think they're actually commonplace when you are in your flow, in your natural state, connected with everything that's around you, rejecting nothing and like not separate from, <laughs> you know, the earth and all of creation. And so um, I really want to emphasize that, you know, we have superpowers. We just are letting go of them more and more and embracing of this complete inversion of nature. Uh, and like you said, it's been like sold to us as this thing that's even better and better than humans beyond. And uh, only a fool would go tracing into that blindly without looking at the cliff in front of them. Yeah. So I don't think I'm going to read the, um, there's a little passage here. I'll read this first one, but what I did in each slide, there's a version with Rider Way and a version with just the uh, cyber tarot, if you will. And the one that shows just a cyber tarot, I also took a screenshot of the text that is in the in-game menu associated with it. And oh, I think cool. some of those might be revealing, some might not. But in a sense, these are like highly simplified and um, even dumbed down in a way. And I yeah. think that that speaks to the corruption of archetypes in itself, because in reality, this fool means so much more than three sentences. This. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we'll yeah. <clears throat> let's go ahead and look at the writer version next to the uh, cyber tarot. Um, I also forgot to say one of the main characters in cyberpunk is named Rogue, which is uh, really kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Are they good? I hope they're good. <laughs> she's kind of <laughs> they're like chaotic neutral. <laughs> she's more of a lawful neutral. Okay, maybe like a chaotic neutral. It's hard to say. <laughs> yeah like maybe a little chaotic maybe chaotic neutral anyway cool character game's got a great narrative um if you're into that sort of thing i i am but <laughs> yeah no you made me want to play it well this, wait this made me want to play it already so <laughs> give it a few months and they'll have all the bugs ironed out because they rushed it out to get it out in 2020 and i think it has a lot to there's so much 22 in the gematria of the game i've said this before oh, yeah. but they're really excited about 22 in that game, uh, like below the surface, if you're looking for it and even like posted on graffiti and on big buildings. And I, I think that could have something to do with uh, the fact that the narrative is actually really based on the major arcana. I mean, there's literally a tower struck with lightning terrorist attack type part of the plot and all kinds of stuff that is exactly this alchemical process, but in a narrative okay. form. So it's pretty wild, but you don't, if you don't know what you're looking for, you wouldn't see it. And uh, <clears throat> there's 22 cards in the Major Arcana. They really are excited about 22. I see a link there. But why don't you tell us what you think about this cyber fool? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. The um, cliff that, that he's walking off of is just a, a shitty building. I mean, the entire background is just nasty horror and he's even emblazoned himself with all of this um kind of uh techno dystopia transhumanist garb uh, and he does have all the traditional elements but look how they are inverted right even the direction of his arms is exactly the opposite uh line you know like the the diagonal of it is going in reverse feet too he's got a different foot forward than the other fool one fool's got the original fool's point. got a foot backwards and He's got one going for that one going forward. So, yeah. yeah. Didn't even pick and up. And the original on that. fool has that like 
it, the stance is like this carefree, which is what it's meant to represent, right? Like just not paying attention to details necessarily, not getting bogged down in that, just like tracing joyly, joyfully forward. And this other fool in that inversion, it almost looks like this like tireless march, you know, this like, it's almost like a Heil Hitler salute and uh, this like tireless march feeling. Um, the dog is completely inverted. The dog is always, in most versions at least, of the tarot, very exuberant and joyful right along with the fool, right? You've got your partner here uh, and your little mirror to go with you. This other dog is like dying. I mean, he's like, he looks dead. He looks like he's missing a leg maybe. At the very least, he looks very sad and, and like no. he hasn't eaten enough. Yeah, this, it's sad <laughs> what happened to that dog. And of course, dog has gone backwards too. Oh, yeah. About the fool's sure. posture, I, I'm seeing this right now is that the original fool is in a posture of receiving and openness and the mm -hmm. uh, cyber fool looks like he's reaching out to try to take something. Yeah, good call. I like that. Yeah, and the stick even. The stick is like a crutch in the in the inverted, you know, game version. And in the original, the stick is a, a helpful tool to carry along. The very light burden. It's not even a burden at all. It's all you have left in the world, you know. Um it just feels very light, very light and airy. And the other one feels very dark and heavy, <laughs> like a like a burden instead of that upliftment and release of burden. And there's no sun, I guess, implied artificial lighting in the cyber tarot. He's in the bowels of a nasty megacity. He's also got no flower. And I think that we'll see that theme yeah. throughout that uh, whatever nature symbolism was in the original card is just missing and they don't even come up with correspondences for those symbols. Usually it's just and like you've cut nature out. Yeah. And check out the, you know, where the sun would be is this completely, it's the darkest area of the screen, actually. You know, it's like a black, a black sun almost. Yeah. Wait till we get to the actual card the of the absence. sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, other than just breaking down the differences like uh you know one of those old kids games what's different between these two pictures what is useful to think about in terms of archetypes is maybe some of the mythic correspondence of the card and so i've i've put all kinds of correspondences in here which i need to point out i took these from a specific book which is path of the fool by michael tesserion michael's a great tarot teacher and has helped me massively come to grips with the multitude of correspondences with each of these uh, cards. But I, I want to point out that Horus and Balder are both considered and Adonis. These are, these are characters that are meant to be like the most beautiful, the shining one. I mean, the whole world wept when Balder perished, right? Adonis is still a word in modern parlance that represents somebody's like ideal, beautiful bow. Yeah. And it's an yeah. ugly Adonis here. <laughs> well, and just all that, that feeling of the fool and the the purpose, I think, or the, um, of the archetype is to remind you of this, this feeling in this time where you are just carefree and you don't have a lot of burdens yet. And you have like almost this infinite hope. It's very childish and very foolish in a lot of ways. And at the same time, there's nothing wrong with it. It's where we all are. Sometimes it's a beautiful place to be. Sometimes the best magic can happen because we don't have so many you know, constrictions on our mind and our expectations of what might happen. And, um, you know, there is this cliff in front of them and you can focus on that and take that as like, oh, watch out, you're going to fall off the cliff if you're not paying attention. And you can also take it as like the reminder that when you are traipsing gaily forward in life with this ultimate faith, like a child, sometimes when you step off a cliff, you find out that you can 
fly or float gently to the bottom, you know? And so there's, you don't uh, actually have a, a lot of negativity in this. And then it's reversed, you know, we can take out some more of those like warnings and negative aspects or whatever, but in general, it is that, that feeling of sort of youthful exuberant unknowing, not jaded yet, all those things that are so good. And in this inversion, again, it just feels like burdened, marching, you know, empty, <laughs> like you're going to fall off that building and you're going to uh, die and your poor little starving dog is going to eat you. <laughs> so I think the we might spend more time on the fool than other cards. Obviously, it's one of the most important ones. But the I think the last thing I want to bring up about it is the planetary ruler being Uranus. That's also the ruler of the Aquarian age, which some people think we're now in or that we've been in for a while, or we just crossed the threshold as blurry as all that is. It's important to realize that Uranus as the archetype of like the free spirit, the the fool itself does just like every other archetype has an inversion. And the right hand picture here, the cyber fool is literally everything about the inversion of Uranus or the, the dark aspects of the age of Aquarius, which is total like technological lockdown, if you will, like separation from nature. So one of the reasons I want to bring up the positive and the negative versions of the archetype side by side is so that we can look at how we create our lives in the coming years as like, am I going towards the dark Uranian or the, uh, or am I going towards the light? (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good point. It's a really good thing to pull out in that um, hope is that we avoid the, the negative Aquarian, the negative uh, Uranian, you know, manifestations of this energy. You know, it's coming either way. What are we going to do with it? Hopefully not that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we got a we got a serious character on our hands here with the magician. The next card. I'm going to go ahead and read the cyber version because I think this is a good one to uh, read in the cyberpunk world the magician is the card of self-confidence and adapting to situations through intellect and sheer will the magician is a schemer who always has one last trick up his sleeve who despite everything manages to stay afloat and remain in control of his own destiny and i think that that's like a very different take on the magician than the traditional version of the magician first of all intellect and sheer will scheming and tricks up their sleeve staying in control that's like the magician, in my opinion, who totally cut off their feminine side. Yeah. Well, and it is, it does have like a masculine energy, you know, and there is something about it that's creative and willful and maybe, but like not, it doesn't have to be a negative way. Again, this is a, this is a, a concept that I think maybe people struggle with that you can have will and you can assert will in a very powerful way. That's very positive for you and creates positive transformation in your life or the lives of others. Right. And so having that, um, it is like a masculine directive, confident, maybe like energy. And so I can see where they tried to like find these connections and make it, uh, work, but like, again, yeah, with the, the darkest version of this that you can create, he's just got like knives laid out in front of him and he's going to cut people up. Presumably I'm guessing, um, all these faces behind him. I mean, what did he collect masks of people? I don't know. I like see him as this like murderer almost. Um, Oh, he's definitely a murderer. Dark. Look at that guy. He's taken his yeah. own face off and he replaces it with different prosthetic faces. Couldn't be more <laughs> creepy. Not- and the original right. magician would have the four suited tools, the wand or the sword or the cup or chalice and the disc or pentacle. And uh, the pentacle, of course, has the, you know, the Venusian five pointed star on the cyber magician's desk. He's got only weapons of killing knives, 
nothing magical about that. And it looks like maybe a candle or some sort of a vessel that's got an upside down pentagram on it. But the mask yeah. thing to me is what stands out the most because um, what I have come to understand about like artificiality itself, the mask, the persona, that's the lowercase s self will that when is when in that when that's out of alignment with the will of creation, you get mm. suffering, death, corruption of your own nature. That's what you get. So I see what they're describing as him being like a willful guy as saying that it's his will or no, or the highway, right? Like, whereas right. The, the original magician is aligning his will with creation itself. That's why he's got all these symbols that represent the elements of creation. The cyber magician's throwing all that out the window and he's just juggling different faces. Right. In fact, you know, the original magician, part of that, having all four of the um, pieces in front of him there. And I really love the deck I use. They're in like perfect balance with each other, like all present. It's very beautiful. And it's kind of representing how these are our four four bodies, you know, that we have as well. And when we ourselves can, um, you know, pull those four bodies that we have into a, an alignment like that, where they're all they're all in one again, kind of like what you described. We're aligning we're aligning our will with the will of nature. We're using our own internal alignment to create external alignment, which is magic. And uh, this guy <laughs> is not only not aligning any of his you know bodies or aspects of self. He in fact seems to have discarded aspects of self by cutting off his face and who knows what else. Um, and so he's, you know, doing again, another inversion of that central concept. And then look at his, that infinity sign, right? It's on the crown of the magician, which is where it belongs. I would say it's like the, the eternal beyond self, right? Our heightened highest self maybe. And this guy's got it down in his, um, in his core where we have our sort of, uh, again, personal internal selfish, maybe like, uh, a version of will that isn't in alignment. So they, they kind of nail it. Like I'm kind of proud of them in a way. <laughs> how well That's why I'm represent- like, this might be a warning. They clearly know what they're talking about. You know, yeah. you couldn't just make a cyber tarot like this exact without knowing the original tarot and what it represented pretty well. Right. They'd have to have someone like Cesarean on to like, you know, to working with them to like make it this good. <laughs> Their previous, that studio's previous game series that they were famous for was The Witcher, also steeped in esoteric, Western esoteric thought. Uh, really liked that for game me. series too. Uh, you know, that, the other thing is like we're pointing out that they seem to try to invert everything they can in the cyber version. It's, you know, maybe minuscule point, but the hair of the original magician is low um straight and dark and it's falling to his shoulders and this new one the hair is like spiked up to a point and yeah. and gray also looks like it's possible that he may have breasts it might be a female yeah i think it's a transgender pr- or maybe we were just dumb to assume it was a male it could but that masculine well, energy you know <laughs> it could be this androgen thing that is like the yeah. uh, the external unification of the pillars in ter- instead of the internal <laughs> Which is Isn't that part so silly? Of transhumanism is all about transgenderism. You know, See, and, and I used to think that they just got it wrong. Like they misunderstood and they're externalizing it and they're that's why they're like obsessed with androgyny and stuff. And now I'm like, oh no, that's just so they could screw all of us over <laughs> and like lead us astray. They understand perfectly. They're just not worried about themselves. They want to control us. Well, nature the nature is life, right? And life continues itself. And 
I have, I have uh, homosexual friends. I have transgender friends and listeners. This is not against them. No, it's, it's your lifestyle choice to do this, but uh, you are making a pledge to never reproduce if you decide that that's your life path. And again, not everyone has to reproduce. This is not a personal judgment of anybody. But when the media pushes this idea constantly and intentionally to young children who are making their decision and very impressionable, to me, it looks like you're trying to keep people from reproducing as much. And it seems very contrived. And the uh, he's also, instead of having the yes. uh, as above, so below symbolism, like the original pointing up and pointing down, this one, his arms are... Hold, held into his core, almost like it's all he's contained. It's all right here. Yeah. <laughs> he's keeping all of his energy inside. He's not like, yeah, linked up to the above and below energy in sort of a, a pranic sense. He's demonic in a way. He's self contained. He's an artificial intelligence almost, like not connected to the higher intelligence and therefore able to not even consider the will of creation in his actions. This one's wild, man. Yeah. That is very turned inward. It's a really good call. I kept looking at his arms. I'm like, why are his arms like this? And that's exactly, I think you nailed it. It's a, it's like a selfish, closed off internal loop, <laughs> you know, not connected with anything like you said. Yeah, they nailed it in a horrible way. <laughs> <laughs> to get into the mythic correspondences, the most basic one is Mercury or Hermes. And just a real quick touch on that. People may already kind of know this correspondence, but that could be he could be the messenger of the gods or he, he could be the thief in the night and mm. the, the dark and the light versions of it. And Thoth is a similar deal, but with Thoth, you have this extra aspect of supposedly creating language and writing. And the concept of the persona and the fake sort of the false ego self, not the real true personality ego, that false ego persona, which is also in law, the straw man and like the legal name and all this stuff it's all contrived out of words and by getting people to identify with nouns. So on the dark level of Thoth, the fact that this guy's got all these masks, which are personas. So there's two cards in a row with masks, by the way, the fool was wearing a mask. That's very 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I just see that, that uh, sort of language aspect of Thoth as being connected to the persona idea because you're taking on a different name. You're a different demon in a way, as you put on these different faces. It's interesting too, you know, the magician, you know, is connecting again, like as above and so below and these different energies and drawing them into the here and now uh, to create something. And, you know, we get that sort of um, uh, similar story in creation of language and various different mythologies too, right? Like we drew it into this realm in a way. And, um, and it's interesting to wonder if that was like some sort of a trap or some sort of a gift. And, Really, in the end, I feel like it's like anything. It's a tool. You can use it for good or for bad. It's here now either way. <laughs> so here we are. But it's really good to, just like you described, um, understand the ways in which language is actually used to trap your mind and your soul into little little tiny packets, which we're not. We're not digital, right? We're analog. We like to flow, keep continuing and growing and transforming. And words don't really do that. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't have life. They're, well, they do in some sense, but that's a bigger conversation. And yeah, <laughs> we can do a whole show on that. <laughs> words have life because they're vibration in the verb sense, but words as a abstract, as a, a noun, they don't. But anyway, there's so much yes. more we could probably go into. Maybe the last thing I'll say about the, the persona thing is that in what we see now today is that people have social media profiles where the face that they put on there is literally through a, a filter and Photoshopped yeah. and 
it's their best day. You you're meeting people on their best day when you go look at meet someone online and go look at their profile picture, you know, like it's not accurate. Uh, it's not living. It's a snapshot. It's a mask. And we all are doing it because that's the way that the technology works. But we all want to put our best face forward. But in our personal interpersonal relationships, I think we suffer a lot when we have to try to keep up a different persona with different people for different purposes. And it's like self-murder 101. <laughs> This is the third time today that this concept has come up for me once in a reading earlier, once when I was talking to a friend earlier and, and that idea that, um, you know, interacting with people when you can't be, or you feel like you can't be true to yourself. And when you're actively suppressing yourself or actively crafting a different self in order to present that to people is so exhausting and it's so draining. And when you think about it, it makes sense because you're literally taking a part of yourself and you're changing it into something else and then you're giving it away and you're like, there, that's yours now it's not me, it's not mine. (laughs) So you're like draining yourself. You're literally giving your energy away when you do that. And it's so, it's really hard for a lot of people, but truly when you can wear no mask, I mean, you replenish yourself by wearing no mask. So you find people you can be yourselves with, like we can do here on this show. It's like, fills you up. You feel good. You get more energy. Speaking of masks, I really want to put a mask on this high priestess. Terrifying. Seriously. Terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And they make the uh, description in the cyber version about mystery and secrets and uh, the cold, still waters. This is a very one-sided interpretation of uh, an archetype that contains so much more, as we'll see when we look at it in comparison with the high priestess of the writer way. But let's get your opening thoughts about this extremely monstrous feminine character. Yeah. I mean, she's not only (laughs) very monstrous and disgusting. um, I really like there's something about the way she's laid out and exposed that makes me feel like a like she's almost like being prostituted or like she's about to be raped perhaps. I mean, there's something like strangely objectifying and like vulnerable at the same time, which I don't. It's just like it's a really bad vibe it's completely opposite to what you would um you know and it's the inverted feminine i guess when you look at it that way which is pretty um disgusting and yeah like how gross she's all wrapped up and and it's all like rags that are bloody and empty and ripped i just it looks like she's been harmed and like she's you look how her arms are like out like this it looks like she's been crucified i mean it's definitely disgusting it's disgusting inversion of that energy you know the original is such a massive like infinite void of like ultimate potential you know which is what like the feminine kind of like represents is this ability to create out of this infinite potential and this like drawing in of all of these energies and um it's very it's very disturbing it's weird i just i didn't expect to be so affected by the images but that's because i'm so i think close to the the original intent that it's just disturbing. It's Again, weird. it's like they knew what they're doing. This, t- this is yeah. speaking to me too. And I don't like this image at all, but yeah. just like the ones before everything posturally about her is opposite. The uh, mm-hmm. plants that were behind her, I think it's pomegranates in the original. Yeah. And they're not there for the cyber one, but the Boaz and Yakim pillars are actually still there. But she's standing instead of seated. There's no crescent moon. There's no cross on her chest. There's no book of law, which is the Torah. 
and uh, which is an anagram for tarot, by the way. So she's basically gotten rid of everything pure about the original symbolism in this one. And also she's got one red eye and like nasty monster teeth. So I think that's an interesting one too. It's like the dark, it's like the external, once again, it's the external unification of a duality that is meant to happen internally. Yeah, that one eye thing too, it goes along with a lot of the, you know, symbolism <laughs> that is used to to program or to show like allegiance to a certain agenda. So that's interesting too. And um Oh, I had some. Oh, it almost looks. And maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching here. I don't know. But there's a there's a pretty like solid line towards her lower abdomen, and then one kind of like strand of the of the ripped gown that goes down. It's like you could almost see as an inverted uh, cross type shape. But I might be stretching a bit. But I just am looking for ways that they might be inverting, and maybe that's there. I mean, if you see it, there's some intuitive level that you're seeing it, and. Everything else is inverted, so it's at least implied. In fact, to go back from internalizing, externalizing something that should be internal, you already pointed out that her posture is like a crucifixion. And so instead of the cross being on her chest, representing her core within herself, she's doing it externally. She's spreading herself externally in a scary way. Also, she's got no feet. Neither version yeah. of the high priestess, you can see their feet, but on the writer, it's implied that they're grounded and on the ground but maybe mysterious, like that part of her is in mystery. Like Isis is the goddess of mystery, like you don't lift her veil. But th this is an Isis where mystery has been raped completely. Yeah. <laughs> completely removed from the ground of reality. She, her feet aren't even there. So, of course, she's not grounded with the earth. And it's interesting. So the the crown, you know, whatever whatever you might take from that, there's an aspect of of purity or purification. There's an aspect of almost you know like enlightenment or or whatnot. And over on the inverted side, it's like it's still very like lily like. It's a very similar shape, um, and it has so it has some of those feelings. But you watch it, and it like wraps down around, and it uh, strangles her neck and her throat. And you know, when we talk about the ability to take these. Um, energies into this infinite feminine, you know, this void space and have all this potential in order to then presumably create afterwards, this uh, choking off of a throat would actually take that away, right? You have to speak something into existence often. Um, and you can't talk if your throat chakra is strangled and cut off. And I don't know if they meant to go there, but again, that's what, that's no, what they did. There. They did because the high priestess is wearing blue in the original, which is the throat. And there's no blue in this True. new one. Zero blue. Really it's just good the point. black and gold. Yeah, they, they they knew what they were doing. They they were not messing <laughs> around did. with this. Uh, Yikes. To go back to the idea of a corrupted interpretation of Gnosticism, this is the Sophia that created Yaldabaoth as opposed to the wise goddess feminine aspect of the you know creator itself. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. This is a good one yeah. to move on from because I'm tired of looking at it, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Make it <laughs> we, go away. <laughs> we're getting a reprieve here. This is the one that has the, some semblance of beauty left in it of all the cards yeah. in this. This one really, the first time I looked at it and thought about it deeply, I actually had an emotional reaction to this <laughs> because, I mean, what's more emotional than thinking about your relationship to your mother? And my mother is a Taurus, which is ruled by Venus. And the Empress, card number three, is Venus's main card, really. 
one of the most important Venusian cards. So uh, before I give my thoughts on why the differences here are what they are, I want to get your take. I do actually like this one relative to all of the others, although it makes me very sad. I had a very similar reaction. I was like, oh, that one's actually beautiful and um, has some sort of elegance and like lightness to it. And then I looked a little bit closer. I'm like, there are dead bodies, the flowers or naturey sort of seeming things kind of, they, I mean, they're flowers of some kind, I guess they're growing, but in a way, um, especially the way they're interspersed with the dead body, they almost look like they're like, uh, I don't even know what I want to say, like a slime mold or something or like a, um, some kind of fungus or something that's coming out of the dead body. So there's still something like dark, even to this little bit of nature. It's definitely not the wheat of the Empress, which is, you know, like life giving and, and whatnot. So that's also dark. And also the idea that the Empress has this aspect of, of return, you know, my initial thought when I first looked at this inverted version of the Empress was this woman is bawling. She's like crying because she just came back and slaughtered her like abusers or something, you know, like she looks like she was triumphant, but that it cost her a lot in order to be triumphant and that she probably gave up a bit. And so, um, and we see some little watery elements there. So this is a, it is a very emotional card. Um, but it's that, that idea of return and inverted because instead of returning back to i don't know something that's like nurturing or or goes back to your passion or your roots almost you know it's returning to this darkness returning to this place of suffering in which you had to like fight your way through to survive (laughs) it's a dark dark version of return um which is one of the themes of this card at least so those are the things that sort of like stood out to me instantly at least yeah, that's how I see it too. Almost like maybe her abusers were actually her children. That's something that I kind of feel here. Almost like uh, like uh, it's a late-term abortion, to use an tactless phrase. Like uh, that's I see it like like that. That this is the goddess of love. This is the archetype of love. And so even calling it an inversion, it's almost like you can't even quite invert her you can't even quite invert love no matter what she still got love like she wouldn't have those tears if she didn't have love and there's not a lot of love in the rest of this transhuman (laughs) situation it's like venus is the last holdout and in like a western esoteric sense venus was the first one to fall venus was lucifer the light bearer the uh, archetype that got transformed into something totally different than what it originally was in the planetary sense and I think that it speaks really highly of the power of love and care as the thing that drives everything in the reality to occur. It's what everything is birthed from. Like what you don't care about doesn't happen. So it is really sad to see what I think is maybe being depicted is that love at a certain point, love will kill you. If you don't get with nature, then nature will love have enough love to for itself and for everything else to just like go ahead and get rid of you because you're not that's like the wrath of god it's it's evident in the consequences of our behaviors that go against our own health our own nature our own body our own environment we automatically get punished for that through the direct material ramifications of that behavior and i Hmm. see this as almost like the extreme result of that like she had to come in and get rid of some of these monsters 
Yeah, that's a really good take. And going back to that idea that this is a warning, it's like, okay, if you're going to go this path and you're going to get this dark, like you're, it's not like you're going to totally lose yourself. You're still going to exist in this and, and that central core of love is not going to be destroyed, but you might have to do some pretty dark things with it. Like you might have to use that empowerment um, of love, which this card is also a lot about that to do these kind of like reprehensible things that you wish you never had to do. <laughs> Almost like it's just for survival at this point because right. nature wants to protect itself. I'm Venus and nature go hand in hand. As I mean, Venus isn't all of nature, but the concept of Venus because of that phi ratio association and how life builds itself out of that structure. I think that is kind of the message here is that like nature will survive the core of what we are. This like love and survival will continue and that even life will continue. Like there is still some form of life under her feet, but yeah. uh, your your corpse is going to be feeding it if you're one of these yeah. zo- zombie cyborgs going on. Yeah, it's a really it's a really sad take on some of the transformish transformative like abundance that otherwise exists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and all these mythic correspondences, though, all of these goddesses got in the fray and fought at different points in their hero's journey in their stories from Athena to Freya to even Aphrodite in the fall of Troy, she was right in there. So I think that this is like what's happening is that that part of the archetype is the only one that can really even exist in this inverted uh, corruption of nature. But yeah, this is probably my favorite one in the whole thing, honestly. Yeah, it is the coolest one so far for sure. And and like you said, like you get the most emotional sort of response and and enjoy it a lot more than the others. And I do love that aspect of, um, you know, the Empress card is this idea that there's been a, a sort of long and possibly uh, possibly very difficult journey uh, that this woman went on to get to where she is. And she's like pretty, she's basically a badass and, <laughs> you know, like, she understands all of the um, sacrifices that she might have to make or the battles that she might have to fight in order to, to be in this position of um, accomplishment, I guess. And, and leadership is, it's a pretty cool thing to notice. And it is, it is nice that some of those elements still exist in like a pretty straightforward way. in the, even in the inverted card. Yeah. You just can't kill love no matter what. That's, I like that. It's the primary grounds of existence. So no matter how far corrupt we get, that's going to, be a component a care will still I just, exist i just wish we didn't have to like go that far to figure that out and realize that it's unstoppable and just go with it instead of fighting against it all the time <laughs> you and me both but <laughs> we'll see we'll, we'll see what humans choose well here's the reason why maybe she had to go bust some heads we got maybe. a really incredible version of the emperor here uh the game makes it out to represent sort of like the patriarchy and doesn't, I mean, it, it, it does say that the emperor makes the rules and enforces them for the common good, but it's mostly emphasizing the dominating and ruthless version of the emperor, if you will. And yeah. uh, the, you know, positive elements of the emperor, a benevolent ruler, that's like completely lost on the concept of this cyber emperor. And yeah, there's a lot here kind of amazing uh, depiction really because it explains a lot of you know the what you call the uh, technocracy is perfectly illustrated 
That's really a good point. It is absolutely technocracy in a card. We send this to Zuckerberg and whoever these like people are and see what they see what they think about it. Like, do you see yourself yet? Here, here you are. Um, but yeah, all those wires coming out of him, he's clearly corrupted himself uh, by choice and possibly because each of those wires is some aspect of control. And it really is all of the, again, I know we keep using this word, but the inverted qualities of the emperor, you know, where you have this sort of overbearing and darkness and authoritarian, like autocratic, like clenching down on this control for like self gratification and, and for control's sake. And, you know, and it, and it's awful. Um, He's even elevated really high up on his little throne there, his dark, dark black goo throne. <laughs> um, and, you know, even the original emperor, and I think in most times I've seen emperor, the emperor is um, often here, he's seated in his, in his throne. His throne's not elevated up super high. It's not even that fancy of a throne. It has some, in, you know, some symbolic meaning, um, but it's not like this uh, totally ornate kind of over the top throne. And in my deck, the emperor is actually standing on the ground barefoot in front of a, a huge tree. And so emphasizing that idea that like you do need strong leadership and these masculine qualities are um, very positive. We, we want them. We want to have people who have some of those. And especially when you can have them and people who are not going to elevate their throne so high up, you could never reach it and cover themselves in all of the, you know, dismembering mechanisms of control and power that have gone on here. And it's funny too, even his gaze over in the corrupted version, he's like looking, he's like looking over his shoulder. It's almost like you were never even supposed to be able to see him. You know, he's like, what are you doing? How could you see me? Like there's this idea that you've sort of snuck in and you're not even supposed to, you're not even supposed to get that point of view. You're supposed to be down on the ground, like looking up at this towering thing and never being able to really see it. You're supposed to be plugged into your pink goo matrix pod. (laughs) (laughs) And that has got a wire going straight from it to him. Yeah, there's a lot here. Uh, He's looking over his left shoulder. That implies, of course, like the over imbalance towards the masculine in a way. Good point. The uh, imbalanced version of the emperor. We've got nothing relating to nature left here at all. Um, The color yellow is an interesting choice because it's like an octave lower than the orange related to the normal, the orange and red. Oh, good point. We're not an octave lower, but um, a a different emphasis, I should say. It's emphasizing the will element and not as much of the the roots, which would be the tree and red, and the sacral, which is the creative force, which would be in the orange. None of that is evident, and that, those are like very important, especially the creative force, because nothing in our realm do we see like springtime, the explosion of energy into the dimension. It's just oozing out of every other corner that everything's coming to life. Like this is energy, and instead yeah. of the energy of spring represented as like you know nature blooming, now all these cords and pipes are going into him. He's taking the energy into himself instead of. Um, being part of the whole where it's all happening in the world, if you will. That's kind of what I'm seeing. And, you know, Jupiter is associated with this. Jupiter is the expansion force or space itself. Like, and what we see here is that he's the God of some sort of cyberspace where space isn't even really conceptually limited in any sense. And he controls all the space. He can create as much space as he wants. Uh, It's like, the out of control, run completely out of control version of Jupiter in that way. 
and he's got no crown, which I think is interesting. Uh, it's a, yet another kind of like the magician version where anything enlightened about the higher chakras or, you know, higher perception or third eye is just like shut off or not there. Or constricted or like channeled into something completely inverted and foreign. And, you know, it's like all his crown energy went into creating all of those like wires and connections or something or was being siphoned off by it or restricted from blooming by it or who knows. You could see him as a prisoner to it, too. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. And you feel bad. It's, it's interesting in that way, it gets to some truth where like, you know, any, any of us who has an imbalance in our masculine or feminine energies are sort of a prisoner to that. Cause we haven't yet, you know, if you haven't mastered that and brought them into balance, then you're just a uh, uh, subject to their sort of whims and um, excesses and, and whatnot. So in that sense, you know, they, they have some truth in there. All of these have little bits of truth in them. Anyone just, that wants to play master is going to also play slave. You can't, yeah. you can't exist one way or the other. He's a slave to the tech, maybe That's a slave really to point. some AI that is at this point overrode his entire brain. I don't you know. know. And then that's why I always look at my concept of God that is so different from other people's, or a lot of people's, I should say, I'm sure a lot of people agree with me at the same time that, um, you know, God is not controlling and he is not a master and he is not even a ruler. He's like, uh, yeah, go do whatever you want. I'll be here. <laughs> like infinite, you know, acceptance and, and freedom and like that. Yeah. How could you hurt that. somebody or take away from something that's already got everything? And that's yeah. us. That's what we need to realize. <laughs> yeah. What can you take away from us? We have the seed of it all. And if you know that you don't ever need to wear a mask or be scared about a virus. So you're free. <laughs> yeah. He's got a mask on too, or his face is completely in sh- shrouded in darkness. One or the other, but it's the same effect. I bet that's part of why we liked that previous uh, card as well. She had no, she had no mask. She just had her real face and some real emotion on it. And it was like refreshing already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Lindsay, we're at the hour point and I think I can go ahead and project that we'll at, at our best, we'll probably get through the first half the, yeah. of the arcana. Maybe <laughs> that's, like, a, maybe we can do this, pick up the second half on rogue ways and we can oh, both have, cool. We can both have both parts on our channel, mirror it over, you know? Yeah, I like that. That'd be like a simulcast and a swap cast in one. It's perfect. True. That's <laughs> the best. <laughs> okay. So before we swap over to hour two, let people know where they can find you again. So also they'll know where to look for a continuation of this awesome conversation down the road. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, I would love to see people on Rogueways on YouTube. And we, I do live streams on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. I have guests of all types and calibers and, you know, walks of life and just from the from the big to the little to the east to the west and all over the place. And it's fun. And then I also do lots of episodes where it's just uh, sort of me waxing about various current uh, events or, you know, sometimes I do a deep dive into a certain subject and just there's just all kinds of stuff to get into over at Rogueways. And it's also on every podcast app, so you can listen to it as well. Again, I'd love to see anybody at rogue.locals.com. Join the conversation, share some content, like get into whatever. We do a lot of uh, conspiracy and, and just alternative thinking and questioning of everything, but we're really strong on the community level. Like we really genuinely like and support each other in, in a very real way. So that's really cool and refreshing as well. Uh, and then I'd love to uh, also invite people to rogueways.org, which is my site where you can find books that I write and tarot readings and I make orgone pendants and I do blessings and I do classes and I do all kinds of stuff. So go over to rogueways.org and check it out.
I knew you were my new best friend. This is great. <laughs> I know. Chris yeah. like met yesterday and we're like, rad, let's do everything. We got a shout That's out cool. to the uh, shadow producer of Interverse, which is Matt Landman. He puts me in touch with awesome people from all over the world all the time. And he's also super caring to go back to talking about that archetype again. He's someone I've never met in person who shows more care towards me than a lot of people I've been friends with for years. And, uh, I appreciate the heck out of that guy, man. Love that guy. So when he told me, well, when you told me that he said to get in touch, I was like, perfect. If Matt sent you, you're no, we're good. You're basically <laughs> yeah. Neo. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matt is a genuine, as genuine as they come. You know, it's hard to find people who are that real and it's pretty awesome and who give that much of themselves, you know, out of pure love. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Yeah, real life superhero. All right, yeah. well, we'll hop over to hour two. Guys, check the show notes to get in touch with Rogue and see all her ways. <laughs> I called you Rogue. <laughs> Just because of that character, I'm mixing up uh, archetypes. That's that's where it came from. I used to be called the Rogue Warrior, so. Cool. Well, <laughs> you can ex- call me Rogue if you want to. <laughs> I'm super excited to get into hour two because this flew by. It was so much fun to look at this yeah. otherwise really horrible stuff. <laughs> <laughs> True. Weird how Absolutely. that works. But all right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, friends, you made it to the end of another show. Thanks for sticking around. And I hope you had as much fun with this one as I did. As a matter of fact, whenever I finished this episode, I was so charged up from the electricity of all this like aperture third eye opening magic that we were making, Lindsay and I, that uh, it was a lot of charge to hold. I think I wound up sort of deciding to drain myself by victimizing myself in my mind and certain situations in my life. And so that big, excited, ecstatic charge I had thinking, oh, I'm just going to post this like tomorrow. I'm going to get right to it. Ended up needing a few days just to recover from the uh, shedding of energy that I did through kind of making myself feel bad. <laughs> and the reason I'm being, um, I guess, so transparent about that is I'd like to be authentic with everybody. I don't want to bring up my personal life situations that aren't relevant in the middle of interviews with people that have amazing things to say that don't need to analyze my life. But here in the outro, we can talk about whatever I want to talk about. And I won't go into the details too much, but I thought before I do this outro, let me grab my tarot and draw a card and uh, see if it reflects (laughs) what I just went through or how I'm feeling right now. And I'm feeling better. I got myself built back up to a degree, but still not where I was after that conversation with Lindsay. I mean, this is why I even do the podcast because conversations where harmony occurs and where spirit is flowing and the flow state activates, it's amazing. And you feel charged up. Actually, one of my good friends Uh, was hanging out with me last week. And whenever he left, he told me, you know, I like hanging out with you because I always feel like I have more energy than before I started. I always feel energized. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. That's not just to toot my own horn. There's a lot of people in my life that I feel that way after I interact with. And (laughs) I think that we're definitely capable of boosting each other like that. There's also energy vampirism, which is a different thing. It's not the same type of clean fuel (laughs) that you feel whenever you've just vamped on someone. You don't really feel that powerful uh, on either side of that particular dynamic. Anyway, 
So I decided to draw a card and see what it would reflect about me or this episode. And it kind of did both. I pulled the Empress, but reversed, which if you remember from this analysis, especially hopefully you were watching the video or downloaded the slides, one or the other. The Empress was one of the most disturbing images in this entire major arcana. And for my personal life of a reversed Empress, it seems like it, there's nothing else it could symbolize other than a failed relationship, which is kind of what's been dragging on me for many, many weeks now. I have only barely touched on it in, uh, I think, a live stream I did with Matt Landman, but yeah, I was in a five-year relationship, thought it was the one, and the other one didn't think that that was the way that our lives should go. And it's tricky because there was no, like, bad juju between us. There was no beef. There's no not being in love. It was just, like, one decided that a partnership wasn't for them, and the other one, which is me, <laughs> Was like, well, I want this partnership. I was building my dreams around it. So, yeah, I mean, it's been kind of easy to make myself feel bad with the wrong thoughts since all that has gone down. And uh, the, luckily, I don't think it's really affecting the podcast other than maybe a couple of days of not a lot getting done due to feeling sorry for myself, but I really know the dynamic of what I'm doing and how it's working. I can even see it in real time. It doesn't necessarily mean I stop myself from, from going there and shedding all my power, but it's a lot further than not knowing you're doing it to be able to see it happening in real time. I think mindfulness shows us how to do that. And then the next step after recognizing it in real time is to go, in that moment to just be like, no, I'm not going to shed. <laughs> I'm going to keep my charge. I'm not going to go into discharge. I'm not going to have a bad charge and I'm not going to lose my charge. And uh, hopefully you guys learned from this conversation about the major arcana, um, more about these energy dynamics in ourself. Because I think that our own personal everyday life has these aspects of the archetypes of the hero's journey. If you didn't hear the whole conversation, you just got the first hour. We didn't get through very many cards there, but you'll probably wonder, like, how would you have ever done all 22 Major Arcana in two hours? We didn't. We stopped at the halfway point, which I think is perfect. I'm going to go on Lindsay's show, Rogue Ways, and we're going to do part two where we cover the next 11. And I'm really stoked about it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be ready to jump back into that flow and see if I, after we build up a charge on that one, if I can keep it and not uh, lose it. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure you can all relate. And uh, yeah, so the second hour, I really want people to hear the second hour of this one and watch it or, or follow along with the slides because this really was one of my favorite episodes, getting to combine my own perspectives and personal research with somebody that's got a lot of knowledge on the subject matter, which was tarot. And Lindsay and I didn't know each other at all. Like I mentioned in the show, Matt Landman introduced us and then we just went for it and did a show. And it was the perfect synchronicity for me because I wanted to cover this content and was about to try to do it alone. And I think it went way better with her. We both noticed things that the other one didn't. It's not maybe the typical show as far as an interview goes where I'm asking questions and staying quiet. I probably talked 
I might've talked more than her, but I've been stewing on this stuff for a minute. And she was really cool about letting this one flow the way it needed to. And as all guests always are, but I want to do more stuff with Lindsay. I want to have a, a proper interview with her for sure, where we talk about all the many things she does and creates and tools that she provides and content that she's putting out there. What an awesome gal. I really do feel like a kindred spirit and I'm pretty sure she's feeling it too. We're going to be collabing a lot in the future. I think it's always nice to expand my network. A lot of guests that I meet, I feel like we're friends afterwards, but not all of them am I positive that there's just going to be a ton of collabs in the future. And of course, I can't predict the future. I wouldn't want to chain anyone to a partnership they didn't want. I've learned that lesson, but I am thinking that there will be a serious natural synergy between my channel, her channel, people in that vein. There's um, not that many shows that I feel hit all the same notes that Interverse does, and Rogue looks like Rogue Ways looks like it does that. When I went and read the episode description of her podcast, I was like, this sounds pretty much the way I could have described Interverse if I wrote it differently. And uh, that's pretty cool. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> we need more of us out here bringing the heady perspectives to all these amazing, amazing trains of thought we can get on and ride to anywhere we want, the imagination portal. And sometimes we got to look at kind of scary stuff like this tarot. But I promise I wasn't trying to infest your mind with demons of transhuman nightmare land definitely not if you did watch it then i think you probably can see the value of what we're breaking down here and maybe the biggest question to ask ourselves is the difference between the rider way tarot the what you would call the original tarot and the cyber tarot how nature is completely gone and everything's fully into artificiality well that could be as big of a difference between those two things as the difference between the internal existence of these archetypes in their pure form, their original uncorrupted form inside of us, not in a language, not in symbolism, and then the symbolism that we get from the traditional tarot. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. That's not too much of like a sort of a stoner thought, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I follow what I'm saying. I, the original archetypes could be before language that much more different that much more real than the transhuman archetypes are compared to the original tarot. I don't know. Just a thought. And while I'm thinking like this, <laughs> letting myself imagine all kinds of crazy things that might be possible, I was thinking about in conjunction with the, uh, you know, what do you want to call it? Rape needle? <laughs> I don't want, want to use the V word. Not that it matters. I'm sure I'm already flagged, but you know, that thing that they want to put inside us, the shrapnel that they want to put in everyone's arm to keep them safe. That is supposed to be working on DNA. People are saying it modifies your DNA. Here's what I know about it. If it's an mRNA vac, almost said the word, mRNA rape needle. <laughs> and uh, the thing that they're using to test for whether or not someone's got the beer bug is the PCR test, polymerase chain reaction test, which is searching for a certain amount of a certain type of RNA sequence. So then the idea would be if you're going to use this 
injection of shrapnel and other things to change the person's RNA expression, which might be something that's coming from their cells. We don't know that this is a foreign viral entity. That's just not proven at all. Could be something that your cells are putting out on their own, or it's just a natural component of your body. If what we're doing to consider someone uh, safe is that now they won't test positive where this one RNA molecule shows up, I have questions about that. And I guess maybe I should back up a little bit. People may have heard about Kerry Mullis. He's a scientist who created the test. It wasn't even meant to be a test, but the polymerase chain reaction that is used as the test for the beer bug. He made this thing, got a Nobel Prize for being such an awesome scientist. He was very outspoken against people like uh, Dr. Tony, who was uh, the highest paid member member of the cabinet last year. <laughs> uh, he's outspoken against guys like that, calling them paid liars, saying that they don't know science or medicine at all. And another thing I heard him say, which is really blew my mind, talking about polymerase chain reaction, he described it like this. You take a tiny little clump of material from not even a clump, just like a super tiny sample from the individual that you want to uh, analyze. And then this polymerase chain reaction, what it does is it takes whatever genetic biological material is in that super tiny sample and doubles it and doubles it and doubles it. It keeps doubling it until you have a much bigger clump of material. And then the idea is that Generally speaking, the ratios of what's in that larger clump will be similar to the ratio that they would have been found in the clump that was too tiny to analyze and to break down. But of course, we have also found out that that's not a perfect type of transcription and there's errors. And so really what we're seeing is not a perfect resolution blow up of the smaller thing. I imagine it like um, a photo. I have a program that actually uses an algorithm to take a blurry photo and put it into, it's not necessarily blurry, a low res photo into a higher res photo. So if it's pretty sharp at low res, it can guess the edges and things and blow it up to a higher level of resolution, more pixels, right? It's the same type of thing here, except my algorithm, even though that it's a good program, it doesn't do it perfectly. There's some transcription errors. There's some strange lines that shouldn't be there, some little distortions. And that's kind of what, the metaphor is for the PCR and why it's not a good test for diagnostics, assuming that the RNA that they're calling the beer bug was actually even uh, contagion, a pathogen could be something your body's making naturally. Okay, this has been a lot longer explanation than I real. I guess I knew it was going to take this long, but I didn't warn you. Here we go. Okay, so the thing that was so interesting that Kerry said, Mullis, about his PCR thing is that when you take a sample from somebody and you do this amplification process over and over again, eventually it gets to the point where pretty much everything that you would find in the human body is in this blown up sample. Like he compared it to the Buddhist idea that everything is in everything, that the whole ocean is in every drop. And so as you amplified this one drop of biological material from the test subject, amplify and amplify, eventually you would be able to see something from every part of all things that made up that being in this weird fractal way. Okay, so to bring it all back around, if this RNA is something that's in everybody, and it's just a matter of the threshold that decides whether or not someone has the beer bug, but it's actually in all of us to some degree because it shows up when you amplify 
our biological matter enough, it'll be there. What does it mean if that thing is being removed through the uh, shrapnel injection? The uh, Moderna mRNA modification plan. Does that mean that some part of the fractal, some part of the archetypes, some part of the spectrum, full wavelength expression of a human being has now been repressed to the point where it doesn't manifest or exist anymore? Are they amputating a part of nature in this in this crazy fractal ritual by doing this to a bunch of people that don't know better? I don't know. Hopefully that wasn't a letdown as far as like the the final question of that whole explanation, but it's just weird, man. I think it does relate to what we were talking about here that the body parts and the different components of even the cells all have a correlation back to these primary archetypes. Everything has a correlation back to the primary archetypes and every process is this process that is the path of the fool. You know, another thing I'll say though, is that those correlations are not set in stone for anybody we find a lot of difference between different interpretations, different teachers, different traditions. And you might have even watched the video I just put out right now and thought, I don't agree with so-and-so being correlated as a mythical correlation to this tarot card. That's fine. I took all those correlations from one book. I think it's a good book, but I don't think there's any way that all those correlations are 100% correct. And in fact, it's subjective, really, especially when you get into the tarot. It's real spread out. There's some kind of overlap between all of them and they all contain the all. So, you know, don't get hung up on those interpretations that were in the slides if you're the one person out there that did. And if you are, I don't know why I'm talking to you. You're going to do what you're going to do. I love you. <laughs> I don't know why I got to defend the things that I, I present out here. I'm just doing my thing. Hope you guys liked it. And I probably should have a lot sooner told you how to get to the second second hour if you liked the first hour and you're like, how do I get to the second hour? And you somehow haven't heard before. It's a Patreon thing. Patreon.com slash interverse for five bucks a month. You get access to this show, all the others. And I put up video versions even of the plus episodes. Or you can use the RSS feed link to hook up to your favorite podcast player and get the extended shows right there the way that you would have got the free shows in the same app you don't necessarily have to use the patreon app to access it all i probably should tell people that more there's probably people that are subscribed that are like still going to the web browser looking for the episode they want that's not the best way to do it go to the my membership section and look for the way to connect up the rss feed and you'll be set but also watch out for the notifications you probably get in your email if you're a plus member because there's a video version of all these and in the show notes, both on the extended audio shows and the free audio shows, there will always be a link to the YouTube or to the patron-only link for the video extended episode. Not always does it matter, the video. I like to see their face, and I'm not too bad looking either, usually. <laughs> so I like doing these videos. I do it for anyone that's interested in that. But also, this frees us up to have a format like we did today, where... Some people can watch the video version of the show, see the slides in real time, or they can download the slides from the link also in the show notes. I put so much stuff in there, guys. It's a lot of work every week. Check it out. There's links to everything. They can follow along at their own pace that way. 
I think it's cool. I think that bringing some visual components to conversations isn't always necessary, but for certain things it you're just not going to have the same quality or depth of knowledge shared, transmitted, transmitted. Yeah. I've been talking a long time. It's almost 20 minutes deep. Probably should wrap it up. So go to those show notes that I mentioned and follow Rogue Ways on YouTube and look at all the amazing things that I'll have linked there that Lindsay is up to. It's quite impressive, quite inspiring. I will be digging into her stuff too because I'm as new to her as you guys or just about. And watch out for me to come in on her show pretty soon to wrap up the other half of this really wild and really interesting analysis of the transhuman tarot. I loved it. You can also dig into those show notes for links to Help Interverse, which is me. I say Help Interverse, but it's really you're helping me. I'm the only one making this thing. And there's more than one way to do it besides just Patreon. You can just straight up donate through PayPal if you like. That's happened a few times. Got some euros that way. Thank you. And you can shop at Secret Energy where there's some great metaphysically helpful sub supplements and things like that. I get a kickback there. You can also get an affiliate link with them. It's really easy. And uh, leave a review, iTunes, five-star review there. That helps new people find the show. Thank you for the new people who have left reviews. And thank you to all the new people on Patreon. You guys are really floating my boat over here. I mean, literally. <laughs> I mentioned the whole decoupling, empress reversed thing that I'm going through. That also, of course, includes financial extra difficulties because now I'm paying for a place that was for two people by myself. So help me out. <laughs> I know you're all having your own money issues too, but five bucks from each one of you, not a lot. I send five bucks or more to many podcasters that have filled my life with knowledge and entertainment and humor and all kinds of things. We got to support each other. Cancel the Netflix subscription. Sub to me and somebody else for that cost, probably. And uh, get a better type of programming for your pesos. Okay, I'm going to play us out with a song by a producer I love called Savant. I feel like he's the path of the fool in one producer. He pretty much does all the ranges of every type of electronic and even other styles of music imaginable. Amazing dude. I think he's living in Norway where he's from. And I love his music. He just put out yet another giant album of massive tracks. And this one's called Arc. And for some reason, it feels perfect because we're talking about archetypes and the arc of the sky, the zodiac, and the arcana. So Arc by Savant. Tune in to him on SoundCloud or Bandcamp. Links in the show notes, of course. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Really, one of my favorite episodes ever. I say that a lot because like. They keep getting better, I think. But all right. Love you guys very much. Bye-bye.